Hi, my name is Dawn Long. I started this podcast to share not only my story, but to share others' untold stories, to share the truth and journey of healing, so I can show you that it is safe to do the same. We are transforming and healing together. This show is about the heart-centered transformation for you, for me, and the world. This is the Your Transformation Journey show, and this is our journey together. Let's begin. Like Macaulay Culkin, that sort of thing. There you go. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Your Transformation Journey podcast. And this evening, we have Erica Mikowski with us, and she is Dr. Erica, actually. So I want to make sure that I emphasize that because there's a lot of education that you have to go through to get that title. So you deserve that respect for that. So she has a robust history of providing enthusiastic keynotes and engaging workshops dedicated to empowering participants and cultivating new ideas about professional development. Erica is a passionate about creating environments where individuals feel equipped to tackling new challenges as they move forward in personal and professional endeavors. She chooses to anchor all of her work by using four primary lenses, which is authenticity, neuroscience, and that's like one of my favorites, positive (laughs) psychology and evolution. In other words, there's a little something for everyone when Erica gets involved. On February 29 of 2020, after years of consulting in various capacities, she has found strategic authenticity as a consult. Good Lord, I'm messing up now. A consulting company dedicated to helping people leverage who they are to get where they want to be. She proudly serves as the company's CEO, embracing her roots as a competitive cheerleader and a cheerleading coach to the benefit of everyone she encounters. Erica is known by clients and colleagues as the one who believes even the most ambitious goals are possible as long as there's a nimble plan rooted in authenticity and she is ready to celebrate successes of every size along the way to achieve them. So welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. How are you doing? I am doing good. So we started out a little bit of our conversation before we started the live broadcast. And I always ask what got you started doing what you're doing And I want to dive a little bit more into that because there's always a life path that sometimes we think we're going to go on and we actually end up going in another direction. Sure. I, uh, nothing about my life today right now looks like what I thought it would. Um, (laughs) and I can even say nothing about it looks like it, I thought it would when I was an undergrad. Uh, and so I sort of did a reset after undergrad. I did a reset again after grad school, I think the beauty of the human experience is the evolution of where you feel you can make an impact and how you can do that based on the skills you bring to the table. So across a lot of different professional roles, sorry for the sirens. Yeah. um, Across a lot of different professional roles, what became clear to me in my successes was the ones I valued most were rooted in supporting other people. 
my greatest love is helping someone else figure out how to do a thing they think is borderline impossible. Um, I really love doing that. And sometimes that was working as a preschool teacher. Um, you can see by my office that I look like I might still be a preschool teacher. Uh, I'm not, but I love, I love that energy. And I was just say, it's cute. <laughs> thank you. It helps, it helps energize my day. There's a book called Joyful that actually talks about the role of color in your space. If you need a great read or a great audiobook, the author reads it. And it's really a fantastic insight into the impacts we can have on our own experiences and our own surroundings just by leveraging color. That's but awesome. Whether it was preschool teaching or when I was in law school pursuing a dual degree in law and a master's in family studies to do juvenile and family law, or when I was in collegiate administration, working my way up to being a senior administrator, I ran a department at a nonprofit for a while. I've done a lot of things and all of them work with who I am, but if I map them out for anybody else, they may not work from a logic standpoint, but the career path of any one person doesn't actually have to be logical. There's no rule that says you have to follow a linear path or be logical about your next steps. What you have to do is be intentional about them. And those aren't always the same. You can intentionally choose something that doesn't feel logical externally. Or I guess I should say the logic is rooted in your own authentic self and your own authentic definition of success rather than anyone else's. So when you're intentional, yes, there's a layer of logic, but it's mine. And the steps that I have made to get to where I am now running Strategically Authentic, my own company, doing work for local organizations as well as global client base, those steps are completely intentional and in alignment with my authentic definition of success. And they don't have to make it anybody, they don't have to make sense to anybody else. And some of them probably don't, but I'm okay with it. I'm living the life that I love or a life that I love. And it doesn't look like I thought it would. And it turns out that's because I wasn't creating the space for myself to think broader or uniquely about what I wanted my adult life to look like. Yeah. And you're right. The path is hardly ever the straight and narrow. And for a lot of us, I would say probably close to 99% of us, the path is never the straight and narrow. Um, I would have never thought in a million years that I would have had the ability to run a $114 million business, you know, in a major retailer, you know, and who would have thought that when I was young and, you know, having my kids, I never would have thought that in a million years. I just thought I'll just go work in retail and until something comes better. And I ended up making it better for me because I really took to it and just started learning the business. And then I decided, okay, it's time for me to learn something different. And then I went into ethics and I absolutely loved that part. And then I went into call center operations that I was not very good <laughs> at. Um, it takes a certain type of person to be sure able does. to do that. And then I decided, okay, it's time for me to go to another company. And now I'm in staffing and scheduling. So there is so many different things and so many different paths that you can take 
And none of them are really wrong. No. As long as they align with your authentic definition of success. And that's my metric for whether or not the next step when I'm working with. So along with the work that I do for groups and teams and, and large scale clients, I, I do individual coaching and consulting with folks primarily at times of transition. And when we're talking about decision-making, I always come back to that authentic definition of success. And if you haven't taken the time to do that, then all of the decisions that you make are going to be a little more arbitrary because you're not looking for alignment with something that's clear. So when I work with clients, I am a college faculty member at the University of Missouri. So when I'm talking to students in my coursework or you know outside of class, when they're asking questions about next steps in life, that's the piece that I come back to every time because some folks spend their whole career working towards somebody else's definition of success. And so then they achieve something, they achieve that thing and they get there and they look around and they realize they don't even want to be there. So the sooner we spend some intentional energy mapping out success for ourselves, success for me doesn't have to look like anybody else's success. Authenticity says we don't have to compare. Because my authentic life is mine and your authentic life is yours. And we may have some things on our map towards success that make sense and that are shared. We may both want to do certain things. But if we don't have any that are shared, it doesn't matter because we are not in competition with each other because competitively, I can't pursue my authentic life and be in competition with anybody else. It doesn't work. It's not possible. I work to help folks spend time and energy peeling back that definition of success they've been pursuing to assess which pieces are really theirs to own and which pieces they have been carrying that someone handed them and said, hey, this looks like success or hey, you would be good at this or hey, I think you should do this. We carry a lot of shoulds. And so I help folks let go of some of those shoulds when they realize they don't align with that narrative. Exactly. It reminds me of there's a lady on TikTok and she calls it the bucket of something else. And I'm not going to say it because we're on air. Oh, okay. But it starts with the F word. And I'm sitting here thinking, as you said, the shoulds that we do, we carry a bucket of shoulds and shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And when as we start growing and start realizing that as we get older that you know those woulda coulda shouldas are getting a little bit heavy in that bucket and how many are you going to keep carrying because it doesn't really benefit you well and some all. of them are really well intentioned that's yes. what gets so tricky is when someone says you should do something or you would be good at something we struggle with honoring that positive feedback, but not carrying it because it doesn't actually apply to us. Yes, That's exactly. a really difficult spot to be in, particularly for women, to hear positive feedback that we don't align with. And, and what do we do with it? What do I do when someone says I would be good at something? Someone once told me they thought I would be good as an astronaut because I'm very analytical and I like strategy and all these things. I don't want to be an astronaut. And I had to process that feedback was really positive and I didn't have to pursue it. And it takes a long time for some folks to feel allowed to say, oh, I love that you see that about me. That's interesting. I wonder what traits 
that you see about me as an astronaut that I could use in the pursuit of the things that are in alignment with my authentic definition of success. And that's a way that we can honor that feedback. Tell me about the traits you see in me. And then we process that. I process what those traits are. And then I reimagine them through my lens of authentic success. And I'm using that feedback in a different way instead of carrying around a, somewhere in the back of my brain, I should be an astronaut because now I'm 40 adjacent and it's not going to happen. But also at no point did I ever want to be an astronaut. Yeah. It's just like somebody told me, I want to say it's, it's been about 10 or 15 years ago now. You should be a lawyer. And I'm going like, interesting that, that you say that. And I did ask them, I said, why do you think that? Number one. And it's all because I have the capacity to listen and really pick up on what people aren't saying sure, and really start digging into that. And, you know, I told him, I said, well, thank you. I said, but at that point I'd already had my master's degree. I'm not going back in debt. <laughs> I've I'm had done. Thank you very much. Yeah. Done. So it, it is interesting that whenever people do give us that positive feedback in of those traits that they see, you know, digging in a little bit deeper. Well, why do you think that? And taking that as a compliment, especially when it does come to women in general, because we have a tendency to not see some of the things in ourselves that other people see. And to be able to receive that feedback gives them the ability to say, hey, well, what about this and what can I do with this information? Because at the end of the day, if in your right, living authentically to you is what matters. And it took me a long time to really get there. But the work feels different once you are there. Yes. And it isn't, I am very much not one of those people who says, find a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I am incredibly fiercely passionate about my work and I love it. And I work a lot. So I don't, I don't love that narrative that if you love something, it's not work. I don't think that's true, but the work feels different and the energy to work comes a little bit easier when we are passionate about it, when it aligns with who we find ourselves to actually be, because we've taken the time and energy to think about that, to say, who am I? What do I care about? What matters to me? I um, actually, prior to this, had a client call. I have a session tomorrow morning. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, so mountain time zone. I have client calls at five in the morning because somebody wants to have a 7 a.m. call on the East Coast beforehand. And if I don't get in that call, I may either lose that client or they want to have it during my morning routine with my kids. And I also want to be the person that can walk them to school. I have to choose in my definition of success. And so when the alarm goes off for me to get on a 5 a.m. call, I feel a certain way about it. If I didn't care about the work that I was doing for that client, if I wasn't passionate, if I didn't love that work, I would have a different set of feelings about a 4.45 or a 4.30 a.m. It has to be about 4.30 so that I can get coffee started um, for a 5 a.m. call. But I do them. I do them because I love the work that I do. I love the connection I get to make with my clients when they say, I'm getting ready to go into a meeting. I'm getting ready to lead this big meeting. There's been all this buildup. Can I talk through some ideas with you before my 8 a.m. meeting? I love that I am recognized by my client base as a resource to be able to do that and prep them for that. 
And so I had a call right before this today with a client and my daughters had kind of walked them home from school. I have two elementary school children. And last night we were so close to finishing a chapter book with my daughter and she's been working her way through it. And we had one chapter left and it was already long past bedtime. And I knew that we were going to compromise her ability to be a great attentive second grader if I didn't let her go to bed. So I promised her last night and as soon as she walked in the door, you know, we would walk home as fast as we could and we would go straight to my office. We read, if you can see behind me on the couch, that's the reading spot. My children both pick a parent for one book and then we swap. So this is where we've been reading our chapter book. And I came home and my workday wasn't officially over, but it was paused. And I finished that book with her. And then I flicked on my email, saw a message asking for a client to touch base before tomorrow morning's call, because I am helping with a group project that that organization is doing. All these things are choices and the choices and the energy it takes to make and uphold those choices feels different when you love what you're doing. And the easiest way to love what you're doing is to look for alignment with who you are. Yes. And I totally 100% agree with that. And I think that's why I love neuroscience so much because there is so much going on in that field right now and the growth of that field is freaking phenomenal and when you really start thinking about the choices we make and how we feel and feel in alignment neuroscience has a lot to do with it because we are growing as a society where science is no longer stagnant and you know, growing up, I'm in, I'm almost 50. So I'm, you know, in that range of where, when I was going to school, science seems stagnant. I mean, this is, this is what it was. You, if you had a brain injury, then too bad, you're not going to be able to rewire anything. And now we're realizing, oh, you can rewire the brain. You can do all of these things. And that's what, makes doing things like this podcast and getting these stories out here so that people can hear that because they don't know that neuroscience is really exploding and it actually honestly is. Sure. Oh, it it is. And there's so much out and available for folks who want to read something that isn't written for other science people. I'm very fortunate because I love science. I love I I work in neuroscience research spaces and evolutionary biology and all these things. But I also happen to be married to a molecular virologist who has been doing right. So when I have questions, I just ask Dan because (laughs) we want like our I think that our relationship, which is so perfect for us, is hysterical to most people because we put our children to bed and watch documentaries and talk about neuroscience and talk about the books that we read. And we have marriage book club. And we take turns reading books that are in line with some of the work that I do, in line with some of the work that he does, in line with areas that are interesting to us, but may not relate directly until we start to dig through them. And we've been reading, I'd say once every three or four books lately, for the past couple of months has really been something tied to a neuroscience type trait. That was his original trajectory was Uh, med school with neuroscience, and then he decided to do research instead. But we've been reading things, and some of them are written for people like him. And so Mm -hmm. I need his help getting through them sometimes. 
But sometimes they're written for people that are like me who are just curious and need something that feels accessible around the neuroscience pieces. And the, the, the interesting thing for me as a person who's been doing research for so long in a variety of different fields is that, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of what is coming out in the neuroscience research spaces with the MRIs and the, the hard data that tells us what's happening, a lot of what it's doing is validating what psychology has been saying for a really long time. Yeah. It's become a way for folks who have not been able to get credibility. Positive psychology in particular is one area where a lot of folks thought it was pretty fluffy. And yeah. I use positive psychology a lot. This, after our time together, is probably not surprising that positive psychology would be something that I connect with. Um, I'm a high energy enthusiast of life. So neuroscience is giving us different ways to validate what we have seen in lots of different psychological research studies for years and years. And it's really empowering to folks in the psychology space who weren't able to get some of the credibility that they had very much deserved based on what they were studying. Yeah. So what would be a good book for people like mm -hmm. us that aren't so sciencey, but really want to dive in to the information? Well, so that's a tricky question because it kind of depends on which type of information. A couple of books that I've read recently that have been really interesting. One is called The Molecule of More. And it is the undoing of a lot of research that's been out there about dopamine in particular and what it means to be a dopaminergic person and how dopamine can be problematic because the research we used to have, and my best friend is a behavioral therapist, and we were talking about this book and we were talking, Dan and I were talking with her about something because we were all together. We were talking about something that I learned from the book. And she is a behavioral therapist who went to school 10, 15 years ago or so. And what she learned in school versus what this current research is telling us is very different. And so even she was like, oh my gosh, she is not practicing at this point. She has switched careers, but she said, I can't believe that this is all coming out because it's so different from what we learned. But at its core, dopamine, which we talk about getting the dopamine hits, you know, people use that a lot in reference to social media. You get the dopamine hits from the likes and whatever. Dopamine from this new research that's presented in Molecule of More is actually not satisfiable. Dopamine is only interested in the pursuit. So for you to get any satisfaction out of the social media or um, chasing a big project or chasing a significant other, they talk about that too. It actually, you have to be able to switch from a dopaminergic state, from the dopamine running through to the here and now to really be present with that satisfaction. And so when I do work in the neuroscience space, what I'm looking at is satisfaction. The keynotes that I give, the workshops that I do, when it comes to neuroscience, a lot of what I'm talking about is the data around satisfaction and what the science tells us the neurological channels are that directly contribute to satisfaction. So dopamine yeah. plays a role in all of them in different ways. But the molecule of more was really interesting. I felt like it was connectable, but I'm not a great metric because I've been doing enough research that it's possible. It is easier yeah. for me because I've read a bunch, but I, so I liked that a lot. Um, I found that to be a really useful and an interesting book. And it talks about some other things too, but if you're interested in dopamine, which most people are, and even if they don't think they are, sometimes when they dig into it a little bit, they're like, Oh, Dopamine and its decision-making and its impulse behavior, that would be a great book that I could recommend. 
Yeah, that does. Um, I'm going to put that on my list because I'm going, I'm always downloading stuff and putting it on my to read letter or read later. And absolutely, I loved it. I loved it. I was fascinated by it. I was. I was grateful that there was research that made things that I'd already noticed either in the field, in my own research, or, you know, in my life that made them make sense in a way yeah. that previous information hadn't. So I liked it a lot. Yeah. As I say, one of the books that I've been reading here lately, and it's not directly tied to neuroscience, but it's tied more to the mind and it's called The Blue Mind. Hmm. And it's talking about how the effect of water has on us as human beings and I find that really interesting on how our brain reacts around water how we react around water and what the purpose is and so it's always the stuff like that that really interests me because I really started down that path and I'll tell a little bit um, about my story when I was younger and how I remember this I don't the only reason I remember is because I think my mom told me but I was just learning how to write. But I said at the age of four that I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And now that I'm older, I realize why I wanted to do that. Because even at the age of four, I realized some people were broken. And I just wanted to fix them. I mean, that was just being at that age. You wanted to fix people. You want to help them. And realizing now as an, an adult what that actually really means and what you can do in that capacity, especially when you're talking about psychology and all of the things that goes with it. It's really interesting how we can really literally fix ourselves with the help of what we have as far as neuroscience and today in psychology, you know, back in the 1800s, we had no clue about any of this stuff. And now we do, and it's just like, holy crap. And if you really dive into that, those of you that are listening, if you really start diving into it, I will warn you, it is like trying to go down a rabbit hole and you're going to go like, what the world? But it's a good rabbit hole to go down. Well, and I will say the other book that I would put on the list besides Molecule of More, which is not really about practical application so much as it's just, I think, very interesting and it does talk about things that I think folks can use, but there's another book called Un, and then it's the F word, Your Brain. Oh yeah, I think and I've seen that one. It's fantastic. And she gives a lot of practical information. So she talks about part of your brain, how it works, and then talks about what that means or what you need to do because of that. So there are sort of tangible action item components for folks who are interested in learning about their own brain or how their decision-making or their approach to life may be impacted by certain parts of their brain, that book is fantastic. And if, if you're not interested in learning for the sake of learning, Molecule of More may not be your style. But if you are interested in learning for practical application, I think that that, and she has a couple of other books too, that book is perhaps the most useful from a personal application standpoint, I think. Yeah. And that's good. I've always, always liked to have books on because books are knowledge. And even though we have this world of social media 
where our attention span continues to actually shrink. I think it's down to what, three minutes now, somewhere around there. But when you actually get a hold of a book and can actually sit down and absorb the information that's in that book, your knowledge just continuously grows. And I absolutely love when people do write that because we need that. And there is so much out there. So if you don't resonate with any of these books, go find some more because there is a ton out there. I always recommend read, read at least once a week, minimum. I'm reading right before I go to bed, but that's my nightly routine. And so I try to put my that. books even on my website that I'm reading through. I need to update because I just finished Joyful, the book that I referenced about color. So I try to even put some of those on my own website. So folks know what I'm digging into. I try to keep that on my Instagram as well to say, this is what I'm reading. These are things that are interesting. And when I do that, I get some really great um, suggestions from folks that say, oh, I read that. And then this one was really helpful or those kinds of things. So when you start to dig into some of those, you can usually find people who can give you more of the pieces that you were most interested in from that. I think that's really useful as well. Occasionally I read things that are not nonfiction. I am currently reading a novel. It is a different kind of mental exercise to read a book that is a story instead of, you know, a research narrative. But oh yes, I always are, yeah. You know, how to do a little bit of both? It's a good segue because if you, for me, if I read too much of the nonfiction research stuff at a time, it starts to meld together. And when I want to reference it or go back to a point in a book, I listen to audiobooks mostly while I'm walking my dog. So sometimes I stop and take notes, but sometimes I don't, and I have to put in fiction novels sort of sprinkled throughout so that I can say, did I listen to that before or after I listened to this book so that I can at least narrow down which book it might be from when I'm writing my content or working on a project for a client and trying to figure out what I want to reference. I love that idea. Yeah. There, I think I heard that from somebody else to always divide up your nonfiction with fiction, just so that it does give your brain that little bit of a I don't know, even know how to say it, but just a little bit of a break. Yeah, I, then... I don't do it in between every single one because there's so much nonfiction that I want to read. I couldn't I could never justify doing that for myself. But again, going back to what we were talking about before, part of my authentic definition of success is the pursuit of nonfiction work that is research based. Yeah. And so for me, that reprieve with fiction based novels or autobiographies, sometimes I'll do that, too. Um, challenges me a little bit in how I'm processing content, but my, my snuggle up with a book in a coffee mug under a blanket while it's snowing in Colorado is never a novel. And I think a lot of folks <laughs> find that hilarious because that's their idea of a great Saturday is a book that they can get lost in. But I consume so much information through nonfiction and research-based books. And I love it because what I do with all of that is I turn it into something that is useful to somebody else who's not going to yes. sit and read that or doesn't want to, or struggles with processing that content. So part of how I approach my work is how can I take these books that somebody might not want to read Nobel prize winner, Daniel Kahneman just had another one come out not too long ago called noise. And it's about decision-making and it's great, but it's a lot to work through. So what can I do? If I choose to work through that and then convert that into something that is more digestible for someone else to use and apply in a yeah. direct, tangible way. Yeah, definitely. And I find that that does help because when you do dive into those really heavy research books, it is good to break it up into content that people can actually 
digest. And that's actually a really good tip. So talking about that, and as we get ready to wrap up, I always ask our guests, what is one good last nugget that you can give? I would say if you are not energized by the work you are doing, it is most likely because the definition of success is not yours and it is not authentic. My call to action is to sit down and think about what it means for you as an individual to be successful. And you have to think about it through a personal lens and a professional lens. And then you have to look at, can I do this? Do I have the resources and the bandwidth to do this on the timetable that I want? But making sure that the pursuits we're choosing, because they're all a choice, all of it's a choice, making sure that the pursuits we're choosing align with our authentic definition of success is the most powerful way to really pour energy into your passions with meaning and purpose. I love that. It makes a whole lot of sense because at the end of the day, you are authentically you, period. There is no other Dr. Erica. There is no other Dome. And there might be people with our same name, but there's not, they don't have the same experiences. And when you look at that, as far as success goes, that's why I think even though what has been going on the last two years has been hard, it has challenged people in so many ways, but it has woken up people in so many ways too, that they realize that what they were doing is not satisfying in their version of living authentically to them and being successful is totally different than what they were doing. Yeah. So I agree. Dr. Erica it has been a freaking awesome conversation. I think we could stay on here for hours if we could, but I know we can't. So we need to unfortunately end it, but I would love to have you back on because there is a lot of different things. And especially when we start, start talking about neuroscience and positive psychology, there's a lot of people that I want to get that information out there too, because they need to hear it. They need to know that there are so many resources out there that they're able to channel what they have and change it and turn it into something else. Well, Anytime you're ready for me to come back. I always say, if I can't wear glitter, I don't want to go. And the nice part is, I don't know if you can see very well, but I wore my big glitter lips just for you. I love that. Authenticity is also glitter. And I say this to my students. I'm, you know, I always say, if I can't wear glitter, I don't want to go. And if I, if I get invited to give a keynote and the dress code is too formal, it's very hard for me to figure out what I'm going to do. So I have to, I have glitter glasses in varying colors. So I always have a way of that. But as long as you're ready for me to come back with glitter, I am ready for you and I'm ready to come back with all kinds of conversations if you think that your listeners can can benefit from them. Because that's what we're all here to do is invest in each other and, and take care of each other for the time that we're above ground. Definitely. That is so awesome. So everyone, as you know how I love to sign off. But before I do that, before I forget, because I forget to toot my own horn sometimes. And I forget to tell you what I'm up to. I am getting ready to release either a one-on-one intensive coaching day with me 
for six hours and it's called shift to rediscovery and reach out to me. You can email me, message me because that is one way to get yourself unstuck since you don't know where you're going. That's one way to do it. And it's going to be three topics. It'll be one-on-one coaching for an hour and then one on, it'll be an hour of implementation. And then we'll just cycle through for that whole six hours reach out to me because I want you to start your new year off to rediscovering who you authentically are. So whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you're unstoppable. You are the beacon of hope and you are loved. Everyone have a good one and meet us back here on Thursday for Sherry, who is a relationship coach. She's going to have a ton of nuggets too. I had her on my other podcast so I, you're going to get a treat having her on this one as well. All right, everyone, have a good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast. To support the podcast, join our Patreon account through Podbean at Your Transformation Journey. Or if you liked this episode, send us a review through iTunes and follow us on Podbean. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and also at my website at www.donlongcoach.com. Remember, you are unstoppable and you are loved.